This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for June 29, 2022. The NPC podcast was created in 2020 to discuss and consider the purpose, process and people of the pharma industry. Today, we'll continue the healthcare conversation by answering questions sent by listeners. Just like you. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving, and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. Our guest today is Michael Stone, General Manager for Canada of Manningcrot Pharmaceuticals. Mike will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. To start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon. Coming to you from our legendary podcast, Gondola, high above the corner of Carlton and Lansdowne, where we look down at all the thrilling action below and convey it to you listeners. We're joined once again by James Shea, General Manager of Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim Fête National and Jim Shea's birthday have both come and gone last week. What do you have to show for all this? Well, actually, I'm more concerned about the, the lack of Stanley Cup excitement now and that that we're going to have to call for tenders to uh, modernize the cupola. So that'll be our big challenge in the next couple of weeks. Challenging indeed. So we'll go one province west. And here's Mark McElwain, the life sciences industry consultant and senior health policy expert. Mark, newly elected Premier Ford, just appointed his nephew to the cabinet. Is this nepotism or encouraging young talent or something that we can't fathom? Sure. What's controversial about appointing your rookie 28-year-old nephew to cabinet? But you're right, something doesn't smell right. And the premier's already had to spend some airtime defending the move. Now, trying hard to see both sides, I hear young Michael Ford actually got some decent reviews about how he performed on Toronto City Council, even from his opponents on the ideological front. But I guess their expectations were pretty low. And frankly, so are mine. Well, we can agree he's a fine strapping lad. And as a team, we are your summertime podcast hosts known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the really imaginative names were already taken, such as Elon Musk or Tangerine Bank of Canada. And the team is uh, excited to welcome Michael Stone to the gondola. Hi, Mike. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Looks like I've got a fellow Hab fan in Jim Shea. Absolutely. Always a Hab fan. So, Mike, you're the general manager for Canada at Mellencrot, a company with a long, deep history in North America, and, and more recently, a lot of media attention in the USA, and along with that, lots of controversies. So let's start with the obvious question. Where's Mellencrot now, and where's the organization heading? Oh, Mitch, that's an obvious question. And yeah, I joined Mellencrot just over a year ago, and they were already in the midst of uh, Chapter 11 restructuring. And it's a good time because actually, as of a week ago, the company has restructured and has emerged from their Chapter 11 and gone through the Irish examinership. So now they're poised to go back into a growth stage and, and bring new innovative products to the marketplace. So it's a good time. And it was a great opportunity for me to take a, a company. And we've done a lot of restructure here locally to grow the Canadian affiliate. 
to deliver solutions to patients that are critically ill. So really excited and have learned a ton in the last year. That's for sure. Mike, it's Mark. So you started your current role in June, as you said, 2021. So can you tell us about your experience taking on a leadership position starting in the middle of a worldwide pandemic? Yeah, I guess, you know, I was nearly 25 years at Eli Lilly and said, if I'm going to make a change, let's really change it all. So I got to start off my GM career in my basement with a team that had a lot of transition and had to bring on new people and build out a new vision, a new mission, new culture, and was really excited actually earlier this year to actually meet my team face-to-face for the first time. So uh, lots of challenges for, as, as it's been a challenge for, for all industry through this interesting time we've had. But uh, again, it's been a, a great ride so far. So how would you say that Mallinckrodt has fared locally during the pandemic? Yeah, I, and I think as, as my experience at Lillian here too, it, it really differentially affected companies and products. So we have two major products at Mallinckrodt. Theracose, which is a extracorporeal photophoresis, is a process, a therapeutic, where patients have to go into hospital a couple of days a week to get treatment. So obviously access to hospitals was difficult. So that was, there was an adverse impact on it. Inamax, our inhaled nitric oxide, is also used in hospital. Patients are already in hospital and they're critically ill. So I actually didn't really have that big an impact at all. And then of course the overall impact, and that is interacting with physicians and healthcare providers. When you're in hospital and hospitals are shutting things down, it's really tough to get in and have a good conversation, whether you're in, in the commercial side or the, or the medical side or the service side. So I think we all lived through that, but it also brought out some other capabilities that I think the whole industry's had to to really start to get better at. Right. Interesting. Is Jim here and maybe following that train of thought, in your opinion, what changes did the pandemic require that were for the better and that you think are going to be staying around for a while? Yeah, I think it's, you know, with all the, the challenges of the pandemic, there are some things that I think have come out of that that will persist. And one of them is something that I think the industry has been chasing for a long time, and that is do we always need to be face-to-face with a healthcare provider? And I recall back in, I think it was about 2006, we came up with our first, I guess it was the, the tablet detailer at the time. And I would say it was not successful as most of the endeavors the industry's made into virtual or digital haven't been that successful. And part of the reason is because I think the industry wasn't very good at it. But the other reason is I don't think physicians were really ready for it. Why would you go that way when you can have someone come into your establishment and give you exactly the type of value and service you need, why should you go out of your way to to go online? Well, the pandemic kind of forced the physicians to go online. And although I think we're back to -to face-to-face, I think face-to-face will always be a primary role. I think now there'll be a mix. And the, the digital interactions, the virtual interactions, I think are here to stay. One, because the companies have been forced to get better at it. And two, I think healthcare professionals have also embraced it so much, and they see the efficiency for a lot of the interactions that at one time took a lot of time and now can happen very quickly. Interesting, right? I guess after or during or whatever we are right now today, you know, we're hearing that uh, attracting talent and retaining it's become somewhat more challenging. Could you tell us about your company's experience in this very competitive labor market, you know? going over there during the pandemic, rebuilding a, an entire team. How did that hit you? I guess it hit me. That's, that's a good way to describe it. 
So I'd say about 75% of our folks here are, are new within the last 18 months. So I've been very busy with networking and recruiting. And I will say that the one thing that this has really reinforced in my mind, and I've been told many times, is the power of the network. You know, being around the industry for the last 26 years, I, I know a lot of people. And uh, when we had these specialty roles that came around, it's those connections with people that you reach out to and you profile out the roles. And the roles at Mallinckrodt are, I wouldn't say the traditional roles. You profile it out and names pop up and then you do the reach out. And we've used some help as well with some recruiters. But in the end, I think the network pays off. That's really the trick to, to this game. And I think that's always been the way. But I think the, the pandemic even put a finer point on it. Again, missing out on the meeting someone in a coffee shop to have a chat, having to do it online, that actually became more efficient too. You can screen a lot more candidates quickly online and it's not that big of an investment of time. So uh, we're not there yet. We still have some, you know, there's always going to be transitions and turnovers and I don't think it's going to replace the face-to-face stuff, but, but the network really did come through for me. Yeah, no, it's interesting you mentioned it's, it's still about people, right? People with people. Uh, whether you're leveraging technology or sitting down, as you said, over a coffee, whatever, it's still going to be people with people. And we're people chatting with another person, Michael Stone, GM of Mellencroft Canada here on the NPC podcast. So Mike, it seems uh, like, like several of us, you've got a, a side hustle. You've been a, a biomedical discovery and commercialization program advisor at McMaster University since 2019. What is it like having one foot in the world of higher education during the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, let me first disclose that I'm a McMaster science grad. Ah. And I would say, had that program been available when I went many years ago, I probably would have done. I took a science degree, but I, all my electives were business electives. And this program is exactly that. It's a combination of science, medical science, and, and business pulled together. So I've really enjoyed interacting with it. And I'm really awed by the talent and the capabilities of the students that I've gotten to work with there. We've hired a number as, as interns. I have one intern working for me now from that program. And one thing they, they really bring in is they're digital natives. So we keep talking about the digital work. They're digital natives. It's second nature. And I think that helped us to accelerate our uh, capabilities there as well. But as well, I think the other interesting thing in working with a lot of the, the heavy duty science people, they have difficulty seeing a, a career that isn't in research. And of course, in the, in the innovative pharmaceutical world, we use science people, medical people for a variety of roles, whether it be regulatory, quality, MSLs, there's a lot of roles. So, so broadening out their perspectives on what a career could look like in the pharma industry has been a lot of fun. Mike, it's Mark again. So we see that when you started out in pharma, it was as a sales rep and you worked your way up the ladder on a journey that included marketing roles to the VP and head of a major division. So I wonder when you've got an opportunity to give advice to people planning a career in the business, whether that traditional route starting out in sales is something you still recommend or whether there are a variety of different ways to senior roles. Uh, that's a great question, Mark. And I, there certainly has been a feeling across the industry that you need at one point in time to carry the bag. I don't even know if they have a bag anymore. I still have my bag, <laughs> but there was that feeling that you need to. And I, and I think really it's, it's more of a mix now where you need some people to have the traditional selling skills and face-to-face -face skills. But again, as, as things have moved, and I would say in, in pharmaceutical and particularly in marketing, the breadth of skill that's required is much more broad than that face-to-face -face, you know, interactivity skills. 
So I think now, do you need to start there? I don't think so. I think we need, I mean, I think there's lots of people in there that have already carried the bag. Really the challenge is to bring in some broader capabilities, people that are more familiar with how to digitally interact with people, how to look at more innovative solutions. It's really hard to you know, solve a problem in the environment from which it was created. So I think that's helped out a lot. So my advice is, and as people come into the industry, and again, I go back to the science people I've had more experience with. They come in thinking, how do I get into R&D? And what I say is, just get in. Just get in and, and find something that you enjoy. The industry believes in transferable skill. I went you know, through sales, into marketing, leadership. Once you get in and you start to perform, they'll train you. They'll get you there. So be wide in your first foray in, and then just do a good job. Be creative, be innovative, do a good job, and you'll, you'll find a path through. And that's, I've been very fortunate in my career to have those opportunities granted to me. Right, right. It's Jim here. And let me just head back to the uh, educational side of things. Now, do you have a, a degree in education? Is that, that what I understand? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, well, that's interesting. Okay, so, so you have a degree in education. You're specializing in math and science. That's not a standard uh, educational background for, for your average anything in pharma, quite frankly. So I love this idea. And you started talking about the idea of transferable in knowledge. So that degree, you know, how did that position you for your current career journey? It's very interesting to me. Well, you know, I, I taught for seven years. I love being a teacher. I loved everything about it. I did get the opportunity to move into pharma and it was a sales role. And honestly, I'd never sold anything in my life. Didn't really think that was going to be for me. Except on a daily basis to a bunch of kids. So there, there's where it's interesting to me. Those communication skills are, you know, perfectly transferable into that. Wow. Jim, you hit the nail on the head. It, what really you're doing in, in pharma, and particularly in pharma sales and in marketing and leadership, is you're trying to convey an idea or a thought with passion and, you know, to connect with people on what they truly want and what they need. And you connect up the need with what your solutions are. And if you can communicate that, and again, a lot of it is taking things that seem very complex and making them simple so that people understand them well and they can see where it will fit. And I think that skill helped me early along. And yeah, when you have to stand in front of 30 adolescents that, you know, on a, on a Friday morning or Monday morning and get their attention and keep their attention, you do build some presence skill. And I think uh, that really helped me early along. The science, of course, you need to understand the science of, of our, our products and the diseases, but it's the communication piece that I think from the teaching that really helped me to jump in. Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. Well, as the other uh, party on this discussion who has a bachelor's in education, I, I can add that there's a uh, element of behavior change training or training to encourage behavior change uh, when you go to uh, teachers' programs as well. So, Mike, I hear what you're saying. Well, it's Jim here, and we've been building up through this conversation to this, you know, crazy excitement time right now where, where we start to play our uh, word association game for huge amounts of points, by the way, but no prizes. So really what we'd love you to do is just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words that I, I pop up there. Yeah, actually, you might have even used this in your teaching career. So when I say leadership. I think servant. I believe in servant leadership. Pharma education. Essential in Canadian healthcare industry. There's just not enough of it out there provided by the universities. Here, here. Innovation. Big buzzword. What I like to think innovation, I like to think start with why, not with what. If you understand what people's problems are, you can come up with solutions. If you just start to try to come up with something new, you'll likely miss the mark, which we do most times. 
Nice. Successful product launch. When your solution meets a need, things go well. When they don't, <laughs> things don't come together. Uh, and we've all had both of those. Complex patient support. Yeah, in Canada, that is, uh, that's a reality. And I think uh, the industry has actually stepped in to close a gap in our healthcare service here. Without those complex patient support programs, honestly, patients don't end up getting a lot of these therapies. Pharma marketing. Yeah, pharma marketing is, you know, marketing everyone thinks is all about doing detail aids and DTC ads, but we all know that it's not. What it is is trying to help a physician select a patient that has the best chances of success on a medicine. Uh, we don't want to put our medicine in everyone. You want to put it in someone who it's going to work because if it works for the patient, the patient's happy, the physician's happy, and the physician will use more. If you try to go too wide, bad things are going to happen and physicians won't use it. They have a long memory. Absolutely. Uh, kids hockey. Oh, I, I missed that for a while. Kids hockey is rewarding. Like I said, I, as a teacher for, for a number of years, that was a, a big part is getting to work with youth and seeing them grow and progress and coaching hockey gave me a lot of that. So I, I really find it rewarding. Great to hear. I, I, gentlemen, I think I was going to give a Google of points, but when it came to the additional kids hockey, I think we should go with a Google Plex on this one. So Google Plex to points. Thank you. Kids hockey made me think of the Montreal Canadiens, but that's another story. Oh, I'll take it. So the last question, Mike, it's time to put on your soothsayer's hat and enter our prognostication corner. So I'm going to ask you what bold predictions would you make about the life sciences industry during the coming 12 or 24 months? Uh, I guess you look over your left shoulder when you start to, to visualize what's going to happen. So uh, looking over my left shoulder, clearly the pandemic, I think, gave the innovative pharma industry an opportunity to step in and demonstrate that they're in it for, for a good reason and they can provide solutions. And I think congratulations to, the, to all the companies that came through and really helped us get through this. But going forward, I think it's clearly demonstrated that the model will change now. And we talked a little bit about it with the, the whole virtual meeting piece. The model is going to change as a result of all of the new capabilities that have grown. So, and I think that's a good thing because I think the model needs to become more efficient. There's pressure on price all over the world. And I think that the, uh, the payers aren't going to, to tolerate the inefficiencies of the system. So there needs to be some, some value created through this. So I think that's what's going to do. There's going to be companies that will do really well with this and others that I, I hear it said often, you know, when we go back, I keep saying, we're not going back. We've burned the ships. You've got to go forward now and find the new path. And I think that's what's that's going to happen. It's, and we see it happening already. Oh, that's great. So, so Mr. Cotter, I should say Mr. Stone. Uh... <laughs> oh, 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 pick me. <laughs> okay, we're all, we're all dating ourselves now. You know that. <laughs> Mr. Cotter, Mr. Cotter. Yeah, terrible, terrible. A lot of, lot of head scratching going on among our listeners now. Many thanks, Mike, for spending some time with us and uh, filling our listeners in on this very interesting story about the 150-year-long uh, business trajectory of Mallinckrodt. And uh, please cir circle your calendar, Mike, for November 2nd, which is the date of the uh, annual National Pharmaceutical Congress, when uh, we're all going to meet up in person at the Mississauga Convention Center. Thanks so much. Appreciate the invitation and look forward to, uh, to being there. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us. We'll speak to you again. Do you have any questions for Mike? or comments for us about today's conversation? If you do, 
Just send an email to health at chronicle.org. Why not attach your question as a voice clip? You might just hear yourself in an upcoming episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please like it, rate it, recommend it, and do share it with your colleagues. You can always find us at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The NPC podcast is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. Check them out at www.imprez.com. This is your announcer, Leona Void, speaking. This podcast was produced by Jeremy Visser. Research for this program came from Christine Abraham and Kevin Anthony. The musical theme is performed with admirable aplomb by the NPC Podcast Orchestra, under the direction of maestro Kendall Milbrook. We'll speak again soon.